Hi, I'm Andrew Burns, and this is the NPM Interconnections Podcast. I'm joined today by Jason Few, CEO of Fuel Cell Energy. Fuel Cell is a firm that is actively deploying both hydrogen and carbon capture projects, working with major partners like Toyota. Jason is an expert when it comes to these two markets, both of which are likely to become even more important segments of the energy landscape of the United States as load-bearing fossil fuel plants continue to come online. Today, we're going to speak with Jason about the evolution of both these segments, as well as the recently activated $9.5 billion infrastructure package from the DOE going toward hydrogen development. Well, to start things off, Jason, I just want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. It's an honor to have you, and and I know that uh, you're well-versed in both hydrogen and carbon capture, which are two areas that I think a lot of us uh, still want to learn a lot about. Um, because I don't think there's any doubt that uh, you know they're both going to play important roles going forward uh, as we move ahead. And and, and I want to get at, into the state of both of those markets and and kind of how they're evolving. But uh, first, I wanted to give the listeners a chance to learn a little bit more about you and and the work that you're doing as CEO of, of Fuel Cell. So uh, to kick things off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be where you are today at Fuel Cell, and then we'll we'll move into talking about Fuel Cell in particular and the work that you're doing there. Great. Thanks, Andrew, and, and thanks to all of your, your listeners. So as you noted, I am the president and CEO of Fuel Cell Energy. I became the president and CEO in August of 2019. Prior to that, I was an independent member of the board of directors of the company. And I got involved in the company as part of the overall effort that the board you know, had a view that the company needed to reposition itself and and develop a a strategy to to really put the company on a different track. And and I have some experience doing that. And that's why I joined the board. And then ultimately, after being on the board for a while, you know, and some of the strategic changes that we were making, uh, I was asked by my fellow colleagues on the board to join a management team. And I gladly took that opportunity because I'm really passionate about what we're doing here at, at Fuel Cell Energy. And there's not too many times in your career that you get the opportunity to be a part of a company where you can come to work every day and you know that what you're doing really has an opportunity to have an impact on the world in this case, and, and certainly you know our climate. And so I'm really excited about that. Prior to getting to, to Fuel Cell, though, I spent my career really in two halves, if you will. The first half of my career was really all around technology. I I was involved in uh, developing software, which is what I went to school to do and and spent the first part of my career doing that. Uh, I spent time in the uh, mid-range server business uh, as as part of uh, my career track. And then also across telecommunications, both from a landline telecommunications standpoint, although a lot of your listeners probably don't have landlines anymore these days. Uh, And then uh, spent time in the wireless business with Motorola on the handset side. And so a diverse experience in telecom. And then I made the transition to bring some of that technology experience that I had uh, to the energy space and and spent time running a retail energy company called Reliant Energy in Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. And then also ran uh, a midstream oil and gas company uh, as well. And I also, you know, today serve on 
uh, a, an oil and gas company board as well. So I have a good cross mix of energy experience across the full kind of value chain, if you will, and, and the work that I do here at Fuel Cell Energy. Right. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting to, to talk to somebody, especially on this podcast that, that has the, the wealth of knowledge and experiences you do in some of, the, in some of these areas that I think you know, a lot of us are, are less familiar with. Um, and, you know, now, of course, uh, that you, at, at Fuel Cell, I know that you guys are, are heavily involved in both hydrogen and carbon capture, which is also kind of fits uh, that same mold. So tell me about the work that you guys are doing at Fuel Cell and, and kind of how you're fitting into these, these markets. Yeah, so just to maybe give your listeners a, a quick backdrop on the company. Yes. We are a manufacturer of stationary fuel cell energy platforms that decarbonize power and produce hydrogen. And we have proprietary technology that enables us to do that. And so what's that mean in the area of hydrogen? So as a platform, and we use the word platform because our products have the ability to deliver multiple value streams to our customers. So hydrogen is one of those. The way in which we make electricity today is we use fuel and air. And unlike traditional power generation sources, we don't combust the fuel. It's an electrical chemical reaction in which we actually create hydrogen. And we use that hydrogen to make electricity. But in our process, we have the ability to extract some of that hydrogen. And we can deliver that hydrogen for use in a number of different applications, transportation applications as a fuel, right? As a replacement to gasoline, as an example. Uh, we can deliver it for heat applications where you might use hydrocarbons to produce heat. We can use hydrogen to do that, or we can even provide that hydrogen, for example, to do blending in natural gas pipelines to bring down the carbon intensity even of, of natural gas as an example. So that's one way in which we deliver hydrogen as a product. So an example of that would be the work that we're doing at Toyota at the Port of Long Beach in California, where we're delivering our TriGen platform and we're in construction right now. And that platform will deliver electricity. So we'll provide the electricity that Toyota needs at the port. So lowering their dependence on an unreliable California grid uh, right now at the, at the Port of Long Beach. We'll also deliver 1.3 tons of hydrogen a day. That hydrogen will be used as fuel for their fuel cell electric vehicle, passenger vehicle known as the Toyota Mirai. And then also they've jointly developed a class eight heavy duty truck with Packard under their Kenworth brand that also uses the Toyota fuel cell electric vehicle technology and will provide the fuel for that. And then we do something that's really unique and that no other hydrogen platform that we're aware of can do. We will actually produce water with our platform as well. And the, the whole Long Beach area, as you may or may not know, is in drought conditions. And that water will be used by Toyota to wash the cars that they import from Japan. So they won't have to use water as a natural resource. So that's just one example of how we produce and deliver hydrogen, leveraging our technology. But we're also working to commercialize our solid oxide technology. And this is an area of hydrogen production that a lot of people are talking about these days. And you're hearing the term electrolysis. And electrolysis is taking excess energy and water and converting it to hydrogen. 
And with our electrolysis platform, we have a platform that will be really efficient. And, and efficiency becomes very important because how good you are at converting electricity to hydrogen also speaks to cost, right? And so we have a, a technology that we're working to commercialize where we've been able to demonstrate greater than 90% efficiency in converting electricity to hydrogen. And because we use something that's called a high temperature fuel cell, we have the ability to add waste heat. And when you add waste heat, we can get to 100% efficient. And we're going to demonstrate that later this year in a project that we're doing with Idaho National Labs, which is around nuclear. And so we will show that using nuclear power and the heat from the nuclear plant, we will convert that electricity at 100% efficiency to hydrogen. And then that, of course, that hydrogen can be given for use in a number of different applications, whether it be transportation or as a fuel heating applications, uh, you know, kind of across the board. Uh, so that's when you think about hydrogen, those are the things that we're doing as a company. Yeah, it's all really interesting. It's really, and I think maybe the thing that is most interesting to me uh, about hydrogen is somebody that is still sort of a layman in this area is that um, it seems like hydrogen has not only so many different applications, but it can be used in so many different uh, or generated in so many different ways, right? Uh, you know, you talk about what you're doing with Toyota um, at Long Beach, uh, you talk about uh, pairing it uh, with, uh, with uh, nuclear energy in Iowa. And then, of course, there's, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've covered uh, some, some early stage uh, you know, green hydrogen stuff as well, which uh, mm -hmm. goes off of renewable generation. So that, that's, it's a, such a uh, malleable resource. And I think, and I think that's one of the main reasons that's going to be very important going forward is, is all the different uh, ways that it can be generated and all the different applications it has. So tell us a little bit about where we are uh, with hydrogen development in the U.S. today. Is this, you know, how, how has this market evolved and, and uh, kind of where do you, where do you see it going um, over the next few years? Well, you know, I think as, as represented in the fact that we're building a hydrogen project right now as we speak, you know, hydrogen is happening in the United States today and distributed hydrogen is happening. And hydrogen, as the use case in general, right, is used today around the world and not only, you know, in the, in the U.S., but there's probably about 90 million metric tons of hydrogen produced, you know, kind of annually, if you will. But as it relates to new activity in the U.S. and new ways to produce hydrogen, like we talked about using fuel cell technologies like ours, converting renewable energy like wind and solar into hydrogen, those are all new activities that, that are emerging. There's clear support, you know, in the U.S. from the, you know, through the infrastructure package. There's, you know, roughly $9 billion available that are going to, create what are being called hydrogen hubs. And each of those hubs are intended to demonstrate different ways to your earlier point in terms of how hydrogen can be made as well as how, how hydrogen is used, right? But there's some other things that need to happen, right? Around hydrogen to really accelerate the hydrogen economy in the US. There's some things that need to happen on kind of the policy or legislative front. So for example, in places like New York or New Jersey, you know, you can't trans, you know, drive a hydrogen car through a tunnel or over certain bridges. Well, to enable hydrogen to be an, a part of the transportation economy, 
those kind of policies need to change. And I think they only exist because there's a lack of information. Um, and so companies like ours and you know, companies like Toyota and others need to continue to educate policymakers around hydrogen and the safety around hydrogen. And, it, and it's quite safe. And I would argue even safer than lithium ion batteries. Whereas with hydrogen, you know, if you have a, a leak, the, it's going to dissipate in the air, but, and, and you need some other, you need something else to happen to cause a fire, for example. Whereas with a lithium ion battery, everything you need to have a fire is contained in that package, right? And you don't have that with hydrogen. And so, and, and that's not a knock on batteries. It's just a, there are ways to deal with this. And so there's some, there's some things legislatively that, that need to happen as well. The other thing that I would say um, is through the support of like the hydrogen hubs and hopefully other things that will get put in place, for example, like the investment tax credit or the production tax credit will help companies like ours scale and get the cost down, right? Because the goal that's out there around green hydrogen is to get to roughly, you know, a dollar kilogram of, of hydrogen. And so, you know, that's, that, that means there has to be efficiency in the supply chain. That means there has to be demand. That means, you know, there's got to be, you know, scaling of manufacturing to get there. And so those are all things that, you know, we are actively in conversations with, with various state and local governments, as well as the federal government around policy and hydrogen in the U.S. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of uh, tracks and, and how things evolve in terms of the policy talks uh, going on uh, around hydrogen. Um, you know, you mentioned that the, the DOE uh, package that, that they recently activated that allocates, uh, you know, eight, nine billion uh, to Create these hydrogen hubs. You want to tell me a little bit more about what's in that package and and uh, sort of where you'd like to see that money go. Yes. Yeah, so what? Yeah. So they, you know, the goal is to create these hubs, as they're calling them. And and so if you just imagine that there'll be, you know, a hub in the west coast somewhere or two. There'll be hubs in the east coast somewhere or two. There'll be hubs in the Midwest, right? Uh, you know, around the country. Um, to actually show and demonstrate how hydrogen can be an important part of the economy and, and a way to help decarbonize. And so what I think you're going to see and, and the way and how these dollars get spent, you know, I would, I, would, I would think the kinds of things that will demonstrate through this and how I would like to see the dollar spent is on technologies like ours that are US-based technologies that are manufactured here in the US because that's one of the tenets of the money, right? Is that it needs to be US-based technology. We fit that bill as an example. But what we wanna be able to demonstrate is that we can make hydrogen with fuel and we can make green hydrogen using renewable fuels, right? We can make hydrogen with electricity using wind and solar. And if you think about landing points in the Northeast where you've got offshore wind projects, there's a great opportunity to demonstrate that. And then we'd like to show the hydrogen being used in power generation. We'd like to show the hydrogen being used in mobility. We'd love to be able to show the hydrogen used in heating applications. And then we'd love to work with some industry that maybe has a really you know, high grade heat requirement where we substitute maybe a traditional hydrocarbon they're using today for that and we, we demonstrate using hydrogen to, to continue to enable that same process. 
um, is what we would like to see happen. And so that you really kind of across the spectrum demonstrate how hydrogen can really be used. The other piece that I would love to see happen is some of those dollars go to transmission capabilities around hydrogen, whether that be upgrading existing pipeline infrastructure or new pipeline infrastructure to, to help move and distribute that hydrogen. But even if those dollars don't promote those kind of opportunities or you know, the local politics get in the way of that with right-of-ways and that type of thing for transmission lines, the beautiful thing about fuel cell technology you know, our technology and other manufacturers of fuel cell technology is that it's distributed. So even if the infrastructure is not there, like what we're doing at Toyota, we can put the hydrogen generation platform exactly where it's needed without waiting on, you know, midstream infrastructure to be put in place to support it. Sure. Yeah. And I can imagine that being even more critical as, as we move forward, you know, we're tracking a lot of, of issues as we, as you know, we cover a lot of renewables and, and uh, you know, like in the PJM area and, and, and areas like that, where there's a lot of uh, projects that have, have that are being developed and are in the queue, you know, that's uh, they're running through some issues there and, and transmission, I think is a big hot button issue that we'll be tackling uh, as we move forward. So that is a, that is a huge uh, point for, for hydrogen that I think, uh, you know, probably goes overlooked. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of times whenever we, we discuss hydrogen and, and when you see like a large blue hydrogen projects, you often see uh, carbon capture as a, as a component or as are paired with, with the, with the hydrogen. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about carbon capture as well and, and kind of where we are, uh, with that technology today. So, uh, tell me, does, does fuel cell, uh, are you involved in, in, in carbon capture or just tell me a little bit about uh, your experience with, with carbon capture so far? No, that's a great question, and, and it's a very, very important topic. We, we firmly believe two things in our company, or at least these two things we firmly believe, that you can't get the one and a half degree Celsius scenario or the two degree Celsius scenario without hydrogen and without carbon capture. You know, there, there's, you know, roughly, you know, eight gigatons of CO2 that, that needs to be captured. Today, globally, there's about 0.2% of carbon that is captured and actually sequestered, right? So it's a big opportunity. And we have a unique opportunity in that space. We, we have what we believe to be the only known technology in the world that has the ability to capture carbon from an external source and produce more power at the same time and produce hydrogen. Every other carbon capture technology with the exception of natural ways in which carbon is captured like trees um, requires a significant amount of power. The power requirement drives the cost of capture up significantly. And because our platform can capture the carbon while producing power, that gives you the ability to make that power available for sale onto the grid, as an example, or to use that power at the facility where you're actually capturing carbon. And thus that brings down the overall cost of carbon capture, which is an important part of the puzzle to make carbon capture viable. 
The other thing that a technology like ours does is that it allows you to capture at the source. And capturing at the source is always going to be more economical and feasible and efficient than not capturing at the source. And so our technology uh, is, is, is suited for capturing at the source. So we are very excited about the opportunity around carbon capture. And we have a significant development effort that we're doing with ExxonMobil to continue to optimize our technology in the area of carbon capture. The other thing that we're doing on carbon capture is something that we call carbon separation. One of the other ways in which we're gonna help reduce carbon is how carbon gets utilized. And carbon is utilized for a number of things today. Everything from beverages that we drink uh, to processing food. So it's an important part of our food security, uh, not only in this country, but around the world. It's used in pH water balancing or making dry ice as an example. So we believe, another belief we have in the company is that baseload power is important and it's gonna continue to be important. And that we need baseload power as a way to firm up the capacity of intermittent technology. So you need baseload power and you need storage solutions. Well, in order to have baseload power that runs seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you have to use a feedstock that enables that. And so that can be, in our case, it could be renewable natural gas, it can be biofuels, it can be natural gas. But we have the ability then to capture 70 to 75% of that carbon. And then we can deliver that carbon for use in a number of different applications. It could be sequestered. It could be used to make concrete. It could be used to make you know, a carbonated beverage um, you know, um, as a way to, to use that CO2, or it could be used to safely process food. Uh, and to extend the shelf life of food through using carbon as a way to keep food cool and to make dry ice. And so we're really excited about that. We think it's a big opportunity. And I think carbon capture is an acknowledgement of the fact that there are a number of industries that we're not going to be able to electrify or decarbonize without carbon capture. Sure, sure. And, you know, one thing that is is really interesting to me is is that uh, you know fuel cell is active in both and and like I said earlier, um, hydrogen and, and carbon capture tend to kind of be used together a lot of times, in particular with with blue hydrogen, of course. So, do you kind of view those two as as going hand in hand, those two markets, or do you uh, see them as as uh, separate? Like, uh, as how does fuel cell uh, you know approach the two? We see them as. In both ways, we see them as two separate markets, but we also see the intersection in many opportunities of both hydrogen and CO2. So if you think about your point around blue hydrogen, that's a clear example of the intersection of carbon capture and hydrogen production, right? But there's a whole separate stream for hydrogen opportunities, right? The hydrogen opportunity that we're doing at Toyota is all about producing hydrogen to enable mobility, right? Cars and trucks, right? And that doesn't have a requirement around carbon capture because we're, right. we're gonna be producing green hydrogen and carbon neutral power. But 
you know, and in carbon capture, right, there are applications where you're making glass and there's an opportunity to capture carbon to reduce the carbon intensity of manufacturing glass, but you could use hydrogen as well as a substitute to hydrocarbons as a way in which you produce the heat that you need to make glass. And so there, there are unique individual applications for it, for both. And there are certainly intersections for, for both, like in steel making, you, you know, you need, you need both as an example. And, and so there's a great example to, to bring those two together. And that's, that's one of the things that we really love about the, the flexibility of our platform the fact that with one platform, we can do both things. We can capture carbon and we can produce hydrogen. And that makes us very unique. Sure. Yeah. And, and so tell me a little bit about, um, you know, kind of where you see, you know, we talked about where, where kind of the hydrogen market is today. Tell, tell us a little bit about where carbon capture is today uh, in the U.S. You know, you know <laughs> give me with that, that figure earlier that, uh, you know, the, how much carbon we produce and then how the, the time minuscule amount that's being captured today. So it sounds like we've still got uh, a ways to go uh, with uh, rolling out that technology, but just to walk us through uh, where we are and kind of where you'd like to, to see that evolve. So today in the U.S., we have something known as 45Q, and that provides a tax price, I'll call it, uh, or benefit of capturing carbon and sequestering it, and it's like $50 a ton. And for utilizing the carbon, it's $35 a ton. So, you know, you could call that for lack of a better expression, a price for carbon, if you will. Many people believe that that price needs to be higher to incent, you know, people that emit carbon to actually invest in technologies to capture the carbon. So I think we need a firm policy work through in terms of, what is the cost of or price of whichever terminology you want to use of carbon? Uh, and that needs to be figured out. The other thing I think that needs to happen, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the Northeast versus let's take, you know, kind of Southwest Texas, right? Where, you know, because you, you have a lot more of industrial and, you know, drilling for oil and gas there, you have CO2 pipelines there today that run where you have the ability to put CO2 in that pipeline and you can move that CO2 to somewhere to a geological formation where it can be sequestered. You don't really have that same thing in the Northeast as an example. So there needs to be constructive policy and support around building pipelines so that, you know, you don't, end up in a scenario where the only way you decarbonize the Northeast is to deindustrialize the Northeast because we can't get effective legislation to build pipelines, right? To move CO2. Uh, and so if we wanna to work together as a society to really drive down uh, the impacts of what we do as people and industries that we need, then there is some shared sacrifice that has to happen, right? So there has to be support for pipelines, as an example, because you just don't have the, the breadth of geological formations here to deal with CO2, as an example. So we need to move it somehow. Uh, and that would be one example. And so I think we need clarity around pricing or how we're going to 
quote unquote, have a cost for carbon. And then we need constructive policy around infrastructure to enable effective carbon capture to take place. So that a big part of what we do around carbon capture is sequestration, uh, not you know, just utilization. Although I think utilization is an important outlet and there's more and more innovation that's happening every day in terms of how CO2 is going uh, to be utilized. So I think both those things are, are, are important. Sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, how those things evolve, because obviously I think uh, we all agree that, um, that carbon capture is going to be an important piece to, of the puzzle going forward. And, and we've got a long way to go, I think, in that area. So, uh, you know, really uh, utilizing that technology. So uh, it certainly, you know, we'll, 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 you know, perhaps we'll touch back and, and in the years ahead and see kind of how things are, are evolving there. But, um, you know, I, I, I do want to, uh, as we sort of uh, wind down here, talk about uh, fuel cell once again and, and return to what you guys are doing and, and maybe see if you could discuss, uh, uh, you know, we, we've learned a lot about what you guys are working on right now um, and, and kind of what you your, your focus is in the near term. But over the next few years, uh, tell us what we can expect from fuel cell and, and how, um, you know, you expect your your pipeline of projects and, and what you guys are working on to evolve as, as these markets evolve. Yeah, so what, what I think you'll see from us is, you know, we'll, we will commercialize our solid oxide technology and that will give us the ability to have uh, the opportunity to compete for large hydrogen generation projects utilizing electrolysis we think that, you know, as you think about continued penetration of intermittent technologies like wind and solar, there is an absolute need for a long duration energy storage solution. And we think that hydrogen is a better alternative than a mineral-based solution because hydrogen is regenerative, right? You can produce it locally. You don't have the geopolitical issues you do around, for example, batteries that rely on minerals that are, you know, housed in other parts of the world. You, you don't have the issues around recycling, right? The waste product is water with hydrogen. Um, and so, and you have the ability to store it and generate it in virtually endless capacity. And so we think for long duration energy storage and, new, and to not completely change the way we all live, we can shore up intermittent technologies with hydrogen. And, and so we're excited to, with that technology to be a part of that. We also believe that hydrogen is going to be, you know, a fuel. You talked about just the versatility of hydrogen. Of all of the things that, you know, the world talks about, for decarbonization, there's no other energy carrier that we talk about today that has the ability to be a substitute for so many other sources of energy other than hydrogen. And so we think that that's gonna be a big opportunity and, and we hope to, to be a major player in that. We also hope to have the opportunity to deploy around the world. And we think ports are a great application for our Trigen platform, like what we're building with Toyota. And then we think for, you know, energy security 
you know, is back at the forefront of the conversation, given what's happening around the world today. We think baseload power, distributed generation is an important part of energy security for grid resiliency and reliability. You know, traditionally in the energy business, as related to, you know, power or electricity, the focus has always been, we need more power, so make it bigger, right? Our view of that is, well, when you make it bigger and you centralize everything, you actually increase the risk and lower energy security because you take one resource goes out or down, then everybody served by that resource is out, right? We think instead of scaling up to bigger platforms, we think numbering up is the right answer. And so we think distributed generation is going to play a significant role in energy security and reliability and applications like microgrid. And so we hope to be a very big part of that. And, you know, because we can deploy utility scale platforms in microgrid applications in urban centers where the power is needed. Right. And, you know, and we operate at a decibel level, you know, less than a home vacuum cleaner or a hairdryer. Right. So we've got applications today where we're deployed next to where people live. Right. Uh, and so we think that's an advantage for our kind of technology. And so we, you know, our aspiration is to have a demonstrable impact on reducing climate change. And we think our technology enables us to, to do that. Our purpose as a company, right, is to enable the world to be empowered by clean energy. And, and that's really what we're focused on doing at Fuel Cell Energy. Sure. Well, you know, for me, I, I'm very excited to, to stay in touch and to, to see how, uh, you know, Fuel Cell continues to, to work into these markets and how, uh, you know, these these hydrogen and carbon capture markets in particular continue to evolve. I really appreciate you you taking the time to walk us through all of those different things and, and kind of uh, where you see these things going today, Jason. And uh, yeah, we'll stay in touch and, and uh, you know, be watching these, these sectors as they evolve. Andrew, thank you. And thanks to your listeners as well. And I look forward to us reconnecting again. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye.